0: And um, I suffer from a disease called humanity. Um, I'm sure I'll get over it one day, but I haven't yet. And Thursday was a, it was a bad, uh, it was a bummer of a day. And um, I was overwhelmed with sadness. I'm not exactly sure why was, you know, was it COVID? Was it sort of all these months of COVID? Was it, uh, you know, sabbaticals cancelled that just didn't happen and, and uh, absence from family, far and near, was was it that? I don't know, or, or you know, was it the last week of the um, week, months of the of the uh, the DSA election, as I call it, the um, disunited states of America? You know, was it something about that that was bearing a weight? But I can say it wasn't a political thing. Don't get me wrong; it wasn't that one side was winning or losing. It was a Philippian thing that was going on inside me. And um, I'm the sort of person who who nurtures hope. I, I, I'm for people. Uh, I'm for uh, that w- which is in us, which longs, um, that seeks grace and seeks to extend grace, that champions the other, that loves it when someone's doing well <clears throat> and are finding a greater freedom and I think it was probably the lack of that around me, generally, that was um, that was paying this wage in my life. And as I say, it was a Philippian thing. You know, for me, it was that they might shine like stars, and as they hold on to the word of life in chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen. But that's what we were seeing. It felt like we were living in a crooked and depraved. Place Chapter 2, verse 15, and it looked like everyone was looking out for their own interests circumstantially in chapter 2, verse 21, and it looked like there was very much glorying in uh, my own righteousness, their own righteousness, in chapter 3, verse 9, and the bottom line was their God was their belly in chapter 3, verse 19. You know, it just felt like a Philippian world, and I'm going, oh. Get me out of here, actually, that's probably what I was saying. And I felt desolate. And when you feel desolate, I don't know about you, but every other minor little desolation seems to go as well. You know? I need to polish the car. Oh, I'm a failure. And then, I'm very fortunate, um, I was counselled by my wife. And there were three things that I'm going to pretend she said, whether she agrees that she said them or not. But uh, the first one was, don't go anywhere. You're likely to pick a fight or throw a hand grenade. (laughs) One. Don't go anywhere. You're likely to pick a fight or throw a hand grenade. Number two... Don't go anywhere because you're just likely to worry yourself into a hole. Number three, don't go anywhere anywhere. I can tell you're losing it in the mind. You're losing it here. You're snarky, you'll pick a fight. You'll worry yourself into a hole. You're losing it in the mind. Stay here. Be calm, patient and gentle. Now this passage that we're going to look at in Philippians offers key responses to that and they're beautiful, rich responses, but there's a problem. Those responses depend on a foundation. They're built on a foundation. So if you don't have the foundation... They're just good advice. And good advice will never sustain us. Can you... Oh, you can't, Kieran. They're built on a foundation. And if we don't have the foundation, they'll just be good advice. So if you're open in Philippians, which is a very good thing to do, you open your Bible in Philippians. What I've done this morning, and I'm not being allowed to move the screen. Pull that cursor away, Jim. That'll do. Stop there. Now, if you look carefully, that's the page of my Bible, and you'll see highlighted... Okay, it didn't come out as well as I would have liked. But you can see little highlights um, on it there and there and there and there and there. You see these little highlights. So what I've done for us today is I've built the foundation by cherry-picking the book of Philippians to create a statement that is the foundation... And then we'll go bang, 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 bang through 1, 2 and 3, the beautiful passage that David read for us. Here it is. I thank my God, chapter 1, verse 3, that to live is Christ. Chapter 1, verse 21. Have the same mind as Jesus, that which was in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 5. Have or put no confidence in the flesh. Oh, on Thursday, chapter three, verse three. But press on. Three fourteen, as you join in imitating us, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. Three seventeen. Stand firm. That should be in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. So that brings us to our passage. Today, But I just want to reassert that foundation. Paul, remember, had many reasons not to thank God. He had many reasons to feel desolate. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 lists them. Troubles, hardships, distress, beatings, contending for the churches, on and on and on. I mean, he's even in prison writing this letter to the Philippians. But he isn't desolate. He's anything but. His eyes and his mind seem so far from where mine were on Thursday night. He is, if you just look in that section in chapter 1, that opening section, he's thankful, he's prayerful, he's joyful. We get in this 4.9 four, section, rejoice in the Lord always. Joyful, he's confident and his heart is full. He's like a car running on 98 fuel. He's supremely confident though that it's not about himself. His confidence is that God has him and his circumstance. So is that a confidence that you share? Cheryl reminded us that we can easily come here and be glib and blithe. The great confidence is that God has this. And why is he confident? Because he is confident that Jesus, chapter 1, verse 5, has begun the work in us, in them. It's Jesus' work, and he's begun it in us. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that to live is Jesus. (laughs) To live is Christ. And Jesus, we learn, can be trusted to finish the good work that he's begun. It's not about you, it's about us with him, allowing him to finish the work. That's his promise, not ours, his, to us. So Paul's confidence doesn't come from circumstances, but from Jesus. And it doesn't matter what things look like, how good or bad they get. Paul's circumstance mirrors the same circumstance that we see Jesus experiencing in his own life and journey, ultimately to glory. So therefore, have that mind in you, not a mind that is confident in the flesh, our own capacity, our own work, our own striving. And we discover that Jesus' mind and attitude was actually to allow himself intentionally and knowingly to go down, down, down. And from that place to be risen up, up, up. We, we see that in chapter 2 verse 5. Counting equality with God not a thing to be grasped, but emptying himself, etc., even to death on a cross. Therefore he qualifies for glory, exaltation, etc., etc., etc. We see that. Downs and ups parallel each other. It's not, oh, I'm down today, then I'm up. No, they parallel one another. Some bits are down and some bits are up. That's what life is actually like. But most of us, me particularly and included, and try and resist the downs, to flail and to fight them rather than seeing them as part of the, of the journey. And this is what scripture calls having confidence in the flesh, that somehow if we do something, we can do it better than relying on Jesus Don't believe those who tell you you should be up all the time. I was speaking with my daughter this morning and yesterday because she said something that really floored me. She said, said, I can only speak for women, Dad, but she said, young women my age feel worthless all the time. Now, you look at these young women around here. Look at my daughter. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's switched on, capable, employed, doing a master's. And I said, is that you? She said, yep. She said, it's a, it's a thing. We all are scrabbling. And I said, so what would you need to do to... Fix it. Now, she's a devoted Christian. What would you need? She said, "It's like it. It's like a fog that we live in." She said, "It's not something that we think about in terms of remedying it." She said, "We're doing all sorts of stuff to try and, you know, ignore it, keep connected." But I said, "Wow! Don't we need this? Don't we need this revelation from God? And don't we need the power?" of the resurrection not just the knowledge of the resurrection the power don't we need to have partners in prayer and be praying for our young people these are the best and the brightest of the western suburbs women she said I can't speak for the boys it's hard work if it's your job to drag yourself into your own personal heaven. So, if life is difficult, don't despair, because this is the territory of Jesus. This is why he's here and why he came. There it is, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In chapter 3, verse 10. So how does this quickly, how does this down, down, down and up, up, up work? Well, I just want to use the passage from the prodigal son because what we need to understand is in the culture, the behaviour of the son, us, towards the father, God, is so incomprehensibly reprehensible that we cannot understand it. The son so shames the father. I wish you were dead, he says. How many people are saying that about God? I wish, you know, God, dead. What are you talking about? I wish you were dead. Why? Because he wants the land. Land was the birthright. You only got it when the father died. I wish you were dead. So I can go and fulfill my own heaven. Make it up. The crazy thing is, dad says, okay and he somehow divides the property. That projects all the shame of the community on him. You don't do what the dad just did. So God somehow is used to rejection and insults and shaming. God is used to looking pathetic in the eyes of others. He goes down for us and even with us. And then the whole community says, would have said to this father, how could you have raised a kid like that? How could you have raised kids like that, we find later on. So, like last week that Kieran shared with us, you know, we passed the bat, and boy, if you didn't pass it very well, you're a loser, aren't you? That's what people would have said to this father. This is God we're talking about, in analogy. People feel God falls short of their expectations of behaviour and character and conduct. This kid actually culturally deserves to die for everyone's sake to be expunged. But then he does the smartest thing he's ever done in his life. He looks back at who the father was and he goes, even though I'm a horror, he is my only hope. And he starts to turn around. And then the father keeps on suffering for him because every day on his front doorstep he walks backward and forward looking for him. He should declare him dead and fit in with the righteousness of the community, but he doesn't. He stands against the prevailing righteousness and he looks for the lost one. Then when the lost one turns out, the whole community would have gone, there! Get the stones out. Here we go. So what does Dad do? He shames himself again by running. Mature men in that culture never ran. So all the energy that's going towards the sun is now turned on. What's he doing? What's he up to? There he is again, being shameful, being all. And where does he go? He runs and he casts himself on us. To protect us from the spirit of the world. Which is all about performance and shame and worthlessness. And he's taking again that which the son deserves. He's taking it again. And then he welcomes welcomes him home. And he shames himself again by throwing a party for him. The older son, the religious one, he gets it. What are you doing? Shaming us again. Can you see how to bring us up, 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 up? The sun goes down, 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 down. And this is the pathway of life under the glory of God, under the divine rule of Jesus. In 1 John 4, John says, you know, The one who journeyed with Jesus and had this soft, soft, soft heart by this stage of his life. He says, God is love. This is how we know what love really is. This is how we know. The Father and the Son show us what love really is. And then in verse 10 of 1 John 4, this is love, not that we love God. Oh, get that. You can't perform out of worthlessness. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an at one sacrifice, the sacrifice that would bring us back into relationship with the Father. So he goes on to say, dear friends, since God loved us so much, shouldn't we just love one another? Oughtn't we love one another? Jesus went down, and this is why he qualifies to be raised up, up, up. We can only come up. In him. One of my bike riding buddies is a serious scuba diver. He said, a couple of months ago, he said, I got caught in a vortex. He said, I looked at my watch. I was swimming around with these fish and it was all lovely. And he said, next thing I looked at my my watch and I was 70 metres down. He said, thank God for the best We can only come up in him. We can only come up in him. And Paul's appeal to the Philippians is that they would see how established and loved and included they are, irrespective of their circumstances. So join in imitating us in this, he says. This is what maturity actually means in 3.15. It's about clear confidence and assuredness of who we are and what we have, irrespective of circumstances. And because they do get it, they are his joy, his crown, the ones he longs for in chapter 4, verse 1, just to be standing with people, brothers and sisters like that. So he says, stand fast, hold firm in all that you have through Jesus, dearest friends, but then we have Thursdays like I had where it feels like we're going down in the body in our own flailing feelings. And it's a battle. It's warfare. It's spiritual warfare. It's Holy Spirit warfare. And so Paul pleads with them. He pleads with them in these three areas that we see here. The first area uh, where we can flop into this sort of spiritual immaturity, number one, start with me, is relationally. Relationally. You know, whatever it is happens. We have a Thursday. And um, here we meet Euodia and Sintiki. I heard a great sermon on this once, and uh, he described them as odious and soon touchy. But look, these are good people. These aren't bad, bad people, they're not bitchy people. These are good people, frontline contributors. They've been on the oars and <clears throat> this circumstance, this disagreement, this relational disagreement was obvious and long-standing. Others knew about it. I mean, goodness me, they get named in the letter to the whole church. It's not threatening their names being in the book of life, verse 3, if you're looking at chapter 4. It's not a belief thing, it's a relationship thing and it's been allowed to fester. So what do you do when there's a relationship thing and it's allowed to fester? You don't have to answer that, but you might have a chat about it with each other after you hear this. Here's what happens here. Firstly, don't panic, but do address it. This is an opportunity for us as Christians to work out our salvation. Under the lordship of the one who's shown us the way, we go down. Oh, I don't want to. We go down in order that we know the power of resurrection. You know, there's some brave people in this church and in this congregation who Their mouths just work fast. And someone I'm thinking of now is often in trouble because their mouth works fast and they ask for help. They ask for help. I don't even need to go. They ask for help. And they uniformly and universally report that every time they've gone to put one of these situations right, it's been resurrection, not just for them but for the other person. Every single time. But these things don't just go away by magic. In fact, in fact, Paul sends a helper, a helper, a companion prepared to take the risk of going down, down, down in order to help them come up, up, up. So there's a second thing. Don't panic, but do address it. Secondly, maybe we need a little bit of help. Matthew 18.15 says that. A loyal companion Paul in Philippians, in Ephesians, I should say, gives, gives a little pattern to the way these things work and see if this resonates with you. He talks about grieving the spirit in chapter 4, verse 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The, the spirit is a flight bird. It's like a dove. So when it, it flies away, he flies away and has to be welcomed back. He's not a pigeon. You know, wouldn't move for the world. He's a flight bird. So when these things happen and you resist the spirit, he's grieved, he flies away. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It just means you've taken control. You've headed for pride. You know you're out of sorts and you know the longer that it gets, goes on, the more stuck you're going to get and then hopefully you wish it just goes away. But it actually doesn't and it becomes a tombstone along the way, not a milestone of the power of the resurrection. So it's interesting because in Ephesians 4, chapter 30, Paul unpacks this. He says, first of all, there's, a, there's bitterness. There's a taste in your mouth. You get that taste in your mouth. Need the Listerine in these relational situations? Bitterness. It starts with bitterness. And then he says, Phew! rage pops up. Ephesians 4, verse 30 to 32. Rage flares up internally within you. And then anger and anger is a more settled state of self-justification, often. And you may have been wronged, but it's a justified state of affairs. And then, snarly, <coughs> out it comes, pop, guilty as charged, hand grenades. And it's called called in Ephesians brawling and slander. <coughs> out it comes. And the thing is that it then settles finally into what Paul calls malice, which is a practised state bent on long-term destruction for that person where we think ill of them and justify our position against theirs and it becomes a settled condition where when we see them, we cross the street or don't go into the shop and they're Christian brothers and sisters. You know if only I'd taken the mouthwash at that first bit of taste. If only I'd looked to Jesus and gone down 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 and made peace and apologized and sought to reconcile to be brought back together and go up up up. If only I'd nipped it in the bud straight away. Watch your mouth, Paul says. Be kind, be compassionate, be forgiving. Why? Because that's who Jesus is to you. This is his attitude and his mind. And I thank God for those of you who I've experienced doing this with others and with me. Snarly worry. We implode inwards. I felt pretty worried on Thursday night fretful, anxious, and I was dangerous, as I've uh, described. But then you'll see in the passage a number of things, and I'm restructuring them a little bit here in order, but the Lord is near. Have a look at this passage around worrying. When you're worried and anxious, the Lord is near. Stop. Let his gentleness come to you. Come not I'm too agitated. Well, don't go out. Just stay here. The Lord is near. Prayer is surrounding all of these processes. The Lord is near. Stop his let his gentleness come to you and be thankful, thankful. The Lord is near. It's interesting when I get anxious and worried. Do you find yourself defending your anxiety? You don't know what it's like, I've deserve i will be angry. <coughs> anxious, I should say, I'm angry too, and worried. We defend our anxiety. We get flare up when someone says, look, you're really worried about this. Can we just take a step? Don't we? Well, here's God saying, don't be like that. It's not going to go well, is it? It's not going to be much down, down, down that leads to up, up, up. I'm not trying to be Psychological. It's just a broad principle. The Lord is near. That's why when I'm worried and anxious, I say to myself, Lord, you're near. Lord, you're near. The other night Cheryl was saying it for me. Lord, you're near. Hurry up, would you? Lord, you're near. Lord, you're near. And in every situation, verse 6, prayer, plead your case, Come to God. Read the Psalms, for goodness sake. The Lord is near. And here we see the fruit, that in time, peace comes. If you want to learn something about long-term toughening up spiritually, here is a perfect pattern. When it happens, we get the mantra of the Lord is near. Come, gentle spirit, I welcome you back. I'm all over the place. Put, your, put your, tell him the problem, go berserk, rant and rave, it's fine. Plead your case. And he says, peace. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you, which transcends understanding. Look, I used to be pretty, pretty snarly and pretty anxious. I can be still. But I know that God's done a work in me, and I know that if he can do a work in me and many of you, Then he this is how he works. The Lord is near. The peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. Bang, which leads us to losing it. Where do we lose it? In the mind. It's a battle for the mind. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the spirit of the world, be transformed. Where? In the mind. Dwell on, think about, focus on. What am I putting in? All I'm going to say about this beautiful passage in, uh, as we close now is, is just write it out and stick it on the fridge and go to it. <laughs> What does he say? He says, finally, truth. Lord, give me the truth. Honourable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, excellent. Anything worthy of praise. Think about these things. And look what happens. The God of peace will be with you. This is an eternal promise. The God of peace will be with you. Remember, the Lord is near. This is practical Christian living. And I pray that you would have someone who can just practice alongside these three principles. The mind of Christ, not mm, the, the natural resources of the flesh. When we're snarly, worried and losing it in the mind. This is great stuff to have on the fridge. This is the good news of Jesus lived. So Lord Jesus, right now, for your beloved children, we thank you that by faith and your promise we declare that you are near. Lord, you know we get snarly. You know we get anxious and worried. You know we lose it in the mind. Lord, so fill us with the mind that was in Christ Jesus and by your spirit strengthen us to have the purpose within us, the desire within us to say, come on, Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus, the same mind the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Lord not as a human work but as a divine gift and promise from you that you will come and enter us you are near and that we can recognise these things that we can encourage one another, we can celebrate when we push through we can pray for one another And we can be filled with your Holy Spirit as we meditate on your word that encourages us and gives us great hope because it's not the circumstances. It's who's lifting us into peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.